We just invite you just now to please turn back with me in your Bibles to First Timothy and to that chapter we read, First Timothy chapter three. <coughs> so, if you are a member of this church or a long-term adherent, either tonight or this morning, you have been given a, a, a white envelope from the church. Now, if you have not open this white envelope then I suppose I should let you down kind of gently it's not that this is a kind of a mafia wedding thing that we've got going on there's not a huge big bundle of cash in that white envelope no I'll let you down it is a form and it is a form for the election of elders that's what it is so what's that and what we do and what is an elder okay well, there's, there's different words that are used of the eldership uh, in Scripture. But the basic idea is that these guys, the, the eldership, they are uh, the ones not in charge so much of the material and the financial elements of the congregation. But the eldership in Scripture, these are the guys that are to oversee the spiritual welfare of the church, the spiritual leadership. Okay? And usually when they're spoken of in scripture, they're actually spoken of in the plural. So there's the assumption, certainly uh, within Reformed churches, or certainly, let's say, within Presbyterian churches, that there will be, in each church, there will be in each congregation, multiple elders. So, right there, that's where we come into a problem, isn't it? Because in our congregation in recent times, we have lost some elders. I don't mean we've lost elders that they, you know, they're somewhere in this building when we can't find them. I mean that we have lost elders and that they have left uh, London. So we've lost elders and potentially at least they need to be replaced. Okay, so tonight what we're going to do is we are not going to have this sort of uh, massive, exhaustive overview of everything that the Bible says about elders. But we are going to sort of base ourselves in those verses that we read in 1 Timothy 3. And here's what we're going to think about. We're going to think about what sort of men God wants in eldership. What sort of men God wants in eldership. And we'll also, I think, uh, look at what the role and function of the eldership is. Okay, so if you're with me, let's kick it off with this main bulk of the sermon, and our, our main section, and that is, uh, point one, the qualifications for eldership. The qualifications for eldership. Um, if you cast your mind back, you'll perhaps remember that that when we looked at the appointment of Matthias as the twelfth apostle in Acts chapter one, do you remember we looked at that just a few weeks ago? That when we did that, I encouraged you to think about a job profile of an apostle. Remember that? Well, we're going to do something similar tonight because we've all sort of looked at uh, job adverts online, haven't we? We've all sort of seen job job adverts in the paper, and we've seen that as part of these adverts. What will happen is that the employer will always have a list of traits or 
what we see, qualities, a list of requirements that the candidate for that job should possess. Well, guess what? That's exactly what Paul does here in 1 Timothy 3, isn't it? See this huge big list that Paul read out? This is a list of of, of requirements. This is a list of the qualities or the traits that a man should have if he is going to be appointed to the eldership, the spiritual oversight of a congregation. And although maths is probably my weakest point, and I've got many weak points, but maths is probably the weakest, I think there are here 17 different uh, qualifications that Paul has here. So instead of dealing with those individually and keeping you here till, I don't know, past midnight tonight, here's what we'll do. We'll group these qualities and we'll try and pick out a few essential features that Paul speaks of here. Here's the first one, okay? I want you to notice the domestic qualifications for eldership, right? Domestic qualifications. We've got, we're told two things. Okay, get this. We're, we're told that an elder must be the husband of but one wife. All right, the husband of but one wife. Now, that seems pretty straightforward, but it's actually proved kind of controversial. Because a lot of people, they read that, a husband of but one wife, and they say, okay, that means that all elders must be married. The husband of but one wife. But that's, that's not what Paul is saying there at all, is it? Of course it's not. This is not so much a prohibition against singleness as it is a prohibition against polygamy. Okay, so right there, that enables me to say to you that uh, if on this white sheet of paper that you've got, you are thinking of voting for a man in this congregation who has four or five different wives, I would firstly urge you, please don't vote for that person. And then secondly, if you could speak to me afterwards, uh, because I would really like to know who that that guy is. So uh, uh, a husband, the husband of but one wife. Okay. But I think the the other domestic qualification that we've got here is perhaps more a fundamental to eldership. Because look at verse 4. We're told that an elder must manage his own family well. Manage his own family. Now take that and widen it. Take what you're thinking there. Manage your own family well. Take it and widen it out. Because this idea of managing the elder's family well, that's not just about managing his immediate family. Managing his family well, it incorporates managing his finance well, and his business well, and his property. It's the the idea of managing all of his affairs well. But, you're right, I guess, particular attention is given to the elder's Kids, the elders' children, they must be well behaved under control. Now, why is that? Well, thankfully, we're, we're, we're told. See, the home is typical of the church, we're told. 
You see, essentially what we've got here is the fact that we cannot expect, or how could we expect the elder to rule well in the congregation if his home life is unruly? How can we expect an elder to rule the the church well if his home life is ill-disciplined? So there are domestic, very clear domestic qualifications here for the eldership. Okay, next group. What about the spiritual qualifications? And again, we've, we've got just a couple of them. There's that famous one that's here. Kind of, we always use to distinguish between elders and deacons that uh, an elder must have the, the ability to teach. And we'll leave that because we're going to come back to it. But we're also told that elders shouldn't be recent converts. Now, that's not so much that an elder can't be a young guy. It's more that he can't be a young guy in the faith. Now, why is that? Well, again... Thankfully, the Holy Spirit tells us. It's pretty straightforward. It's that if we put in this congregation, if we appoint an elder who is a young believer, if we put a new believer in a position of responsibility, then what what we told happens? What does it say? There's the chance that they will fall under the same judgment as the devil. So you put a a new believer, a young believer, in a a position of responsibility, there is the chance, says Paul, that they're going to be given to pride. Pride in themselves. So we've got domestic qualifications, we've got spiritual qualifications. last one here is, what about the personal qualifications? qualifications for eldership. Let's notice a few things here, but personal qualifications. Notice with me, please, the need for an elder to be mild-mannered. Now, I think this is really one of Paul's main focuses here, one of his main emphasis, because look at the words he uses to describe the necessary qualifications of an elder. He says that these guys have to be temperate. They have to be, what else? Self-controlled. These guys have to be, they they can't be violent, not violent, but gentle. They're not to be given to quarreling. You you see what builds up there, do you see what he's saying? The pastoral oversight of the congregation, it is absolutely no place for a a volatile character. The pastoral oversight of a congregation is no, no place for a man who is argumentative by nature, a man who is ill-disciplined, so mild-mannered. But also notice the need for, for do you see it, the need for moderation too. See, balance is required. A, a restraint is required in eldership, especially when it comes to, what does Paul single out here? He singles out booze. He singles out booze. And he singles out cash. He's saying that servant leadership in a church it can't be a place where you have a man who is consumed with a desire for drink. It can't be a place where you have a man who is consumed with a desire for, for financial gain and, and growth. There is a need desperate need in the eldership for moderation. And then lastly in this, what you'll hopefully see 
folks, is that what, what we've done here is try to leave the most important thing until last. Because I hope you see that there is a principal quality for eldership. Do you see that? There is a foremost quality here for eldership. You see, so clever. What, what Paul does here is he starts the, this list of requirements with this, this quality that the elders must be. Do you see the first one? The elders must be above reproach. And I'll tell you how that works. That sits above the rest of these qualities. That he must be above reproach. And all of the other traits, all of the other qualities, they follow on from that. But not just that. Notice, he brackets all of these qualities with this. I mean, look, he he starts it with this, this requirement to be above reproach, to be blameless. But the same idea is repeated at the end, just for emphasis, that the elder must have this good reputation. So he starts it like this, and he brackets it like this. But guess what? It's smack bang in the middle as well. Because he says in the middle, the elder must be respectable. Now, on that, hear this. Historically, we in Presbyterianism, and particularly Presbyterianism in this country, I tell you this, what a mess we have made of the eldership. I mean, what a complete mess we have made of it. I mean, so many churches historically have appointed elders based upon their salary rather than upon their spirituality. Church after church after church, it, 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 bases, it, it appoints elders based upon their standing in the world and their standing in society rather than their standing and their walk in Jesus Christ. And here and now, I would urge you, no matter where God takes you in this world, okay, no matter what church you end up in, never do that. Never vote for an elder based upon his occupation alone. Hear that. But see, at the same time, look at the value God does place on the respectability of the eldership. I mean, it is absolutely essential that the world has, and society has, no legitimate way, legitimate way of casting aspersions on the character of the eldership. You see, in this congregation just now, you're considering voting. You need to vote for a godly man. But you need to vote for a godly man who has integrity. Now, I do think that this sermon in some ways could be pretty easy to listen to. Because what could happen is, if you're not up for election as an elder, that you could come along to church tonight and you could sit in your pew and and chill out and just think, oh, who will I vote for? And think about how scripture relates to other people. But here's the thing. You see, although these qualities that we've got here, they are to be exemplified by the eldership, tell you this, these qualities here, elsewhere in scripture, they're demanded of you. 
They are expected of all of the people of God. Let's take a couple examples. An elder is supposed to be gentle. An elder is supposed to be self-disciplined. Well, hang on. Gentleness, self-discipline, those are fruits of the Spirit. Those are expected of you, of all of the congregation. So perhaps as we read over this list, as we pray over this list, not only should we be asking God, who do we vote for? But see, as you read this list, perhaps what we all should, should be doing is repenting. Repenting before God of our own flaws and our own failings. We have the qualifications for eldership. Okay, I promise that is the, the, the main, the main section, the main bulk of our, our sermon tonight. But let's move on and let's think secondly about the role of eldership. The role of eldership. Let's get back to that hypothetical job advert. So we've seen that a company, um, as they advertise for a job, that they're going to list the traits that they expect from the people who are going to apply for that job. Okay, in the second thing here, let, let's consider the actual job spec, if you like. You know, what function or what role an elder does in the life of the church. Because, you know, I've spoken a lot about this to people. And there's fuzziness about what an elder is supposed to do. And the thing is, it's not quite as simple as it might sound to establish the role of an elder. There's not a sort of obvious go-to place in scripture where, you know, God gives us the, the, the roles, the precise roles of eldership. It's more something that can be drawn out of these qualifications and elsewhere in Scripture. There's a few things that that, that can be said here. So here goes. What is the job of an elder? One, elders are to teach. Elders are to teach. Now, we've got that from this list in front of us in 1 Timothy 3, don't we? Now, it's the idea that elders are not just to, what does it say, hold to the deep truths of faith. That's expected of the diaconate, the deacons of the church, to hold to the deep truths of faith. But the elders are to take those deep truths of faith and be able to communicate them. And to communicate them to the congregation and to other people. What does that mean, practically speaking? Should we expect all of our elders to be sort of Mark Driscoll types? Is that what we should expect? Should we expect all of our elders to have that sort sort of, I don't know, the pulpit oratory of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones? Is that what we need from our elders? Is that what has to be expected? Well, no, it's not. But our elders should be able to refute false doctrine. That's Titus 1.9. Our elders should be given to prayer and given to study. Acts chapter 6. So what we're seeing is that these elders, the person that you're going to vote for, that guy has to be the go-to guy 
about spiritual problems and, and spiritual questions. These are the guys that should be leading Bible studies in the congregation. These are the guys who can unfold and speak of the great mysteries of the gospel. They should be able to teach. To teach. Second one, what does an elder do? The elders are to lead. They are to lead. And again, we see this from First Timothy 3, don't we? Because Paul doesn't speak of elders. That's not the word that we've got here. Do you see the word that Paul uses? I mean, I think it's in... Yeah, there you go. It's in verse 1 of chapter 3. What's the word? How does he describe the elders? You see it? It's an overseer. An overseer. These are the guys who oversee the life of the congregation. In Titus 1, um, they are called God's stewards. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, the elders are the guys who direct the affairs of the congregation. So these are the guys, the elders are the guys who lead, who, 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 who govern, who, who direct the spiritual life of the congregation. Not in a sort of, I don't know, worldly way, not in a, a dictatorial sort of managerial sense. But they lead. And they lead with humility. And they lead by example. It's leadership. But I tell you this, at its heart, it is servant leadership. Servant leadership. So you with me so far? What an elder, what does an elder do? He, he teaches and he leads. The last one here is that an elder also shepherds. He shepherds. You see, what's interesting, or what I find interesting, is that when the Bible speaks about these guys, when the Bible speaks about the spiritual oversight of a congregation, and Scripture speaks about overseers, What usually happens is that a certain type of imagery is used. So when elders are spoken of, the Bible uses the image of sheep. The Bible uses the image of shepherds. So Ephesians chapter 4, and Paul's going through the different gifts, he talks about some being called to be shepherds. Or the obvious examples, First Timothy, uh, no, not First Timothy, First Peter, and Peter says there, he says, to the elders among you, be shepherds, shepherds of the flock. Now, why that sort of imagery? Well, shepherding involves a few things, doesn't it? Shepherding of the flock certainly involves a, a few things. It would involve disciplining a sheep that strays away from the flock. I mean, it involves protecting the flock from threats from the outside, from threats from the, the inside. Of course, shepherding would involve caring for and, and nurturing the flock that is under the supervision of that shepherd. So I hope you see what, what we have when we build up these things. What we have is quite clearly that the job of an elder is an important job. It's a job that comes with a great and mighty 
responsibility. But I tell you again, I've got some bad news, I think. Because I guess there is an implication here for the life and the conduct, not just of elders, but of the whole congregation, isn't there? And this is something that I would say goes against every inclination of our hearts. So follow me in this, okay? That the elder has to teach, and that he has to lead, and that he has to shepherd, it means that the congregation, it means that you have to be willing to be taught. You have to be willing to be led, and you have to be willing to be shepherded. You know, we've, we've all got to lead sort of open lives and, and, and submissive lives. You know, we shouldn't have in our congregation a sort of low view of eldership that when an elder comes to you and he speaks about something in your life that we sort of view it as just a, a dude coming in and sticking his nose into our business. That shouldn't be how we, how we view the eldership. We should see that, that humility is necessary and it's necessary not just for the eldership. But humility is necessary for our congregation as a whole. Because I'm pretty sure you know what Hebrews tells us. Hebrews chapter 13 says this. Obey your leaders. Submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must Give an account. So we see the role of eldership. Qualifications, role. Just a word on the third thing. A closing application about eldership. A closing application about eldership. I sympathise with you tonight. I do. Because... To cover something like this, to cover a topic like this, we have to do it like this. We we have to have these points. There's a lot of material here. So I sympathise. I've had to go and listen through a lot of points and a lot of sub-points and a, a lot of headings and so forth. So here as we close, I one thing. An appeal. An appeal for the whole congregation here. And it is just simply an appeal that you pray for your elders. Pray for your elders. Now pray, I'd ask you, for the existing elders of your church. Pray for us. Pray for our wisdom. Pray that that would grow. Pray for our protection from attack. Pray for our spiritual lives. And I would say, pray especially for what we've just seen there. Pray for the teaching in your church. Pray for the leadership. Pray for the shepherding of this congregation. But as well as that, I would really encourage you tonight to pray for this vote. You know all these sheets of paper that have been handed out and all this faff. Pray for it. Because I'm pretty sure you see, because of all these qualifications that we've gone through, that this is very, very important. 
for the life of this congregation. But on top of that, think about this. Okay, why is it important that we pray for this vote? Here's the thing. In Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul says this. He's speaking to elders and he says this. He says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock. Now get the next bit. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Do you see it? The Holy Spirit is the one who has made the overseer. So we better pray. And we pray not just because we're sort of narrowing down the suitable candidates or anything quite as mundane as that. No, we get to our knees and we pray about this because the Holy Spirit is there and he is ready and he is willing to, to, to guide us, to direct us, to lead us to the, the man or men who are supposed to be elders in this congregation. And we land with this. You see, what we see from the end of this chapter, I think is quite remarkable. You see, Paul's given Timothy all these instructions about eldership. The diaconate. Why is he, he doing that? Well, because of the importance of correct structures and conduct within the church. That's why he's doing it. Look, he, he writes to Timothy and he says to the church, do you see it? He says that the church is the pillar and the foundation of truth. He's writing to Timothy and he's saying, we better get this right because the church is important. The church is, is, is God's chosen means. It's God's chosen method of proclaiming this mystery of the, 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 the truth of Jesus Christ. And so what he does is he ends this chapter about qualifications and he ends it talking about Jesus. He ends it talking about the glory and the majesty of the risen Christ. And I would say to you tonight, it is through him. It is through Jesus Christ that we understand what eldership is. Christ is why we must have the correct structures in our church. It is also Christ. Think about it. It is Christ that we look to, to see the, the supreme and perfect example of eldership. Who is he? He is our rabbi. He is our teacher. Who is he? He is the good shepherd. The one who gave his life for his sheep. Do you see it? Friends, I would urge you to pray for guidance from the Holy Spirit. I would urge you to look to Jesus Christ and vote on eldership and do so in all humility. Let's pray.